Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Terry Stotts is out as coach. Neil O'Shea sitting a little bit of heat, I believe. Welcome to the Blazer Focus Podcast. I'm Aaron Fentress along with Joe Freeman. Clearly a very eventful week. We've got candidates' names flying all over the place. We have a, a one of the best coaches in franchise history out the door. The GM gave a press conference, his first press conference since prior to the start of the season. We've got all that to talk about as well as prognosticating and looking into the future. Something Joe Freeman loves to do as we analyze this Blazers team going into the offseason. All right, first things first. Before we get to the coaching search, let's give some props. Let's talk about Terry Stotts. Much maligned Terry Stotts. Probably a lot of it unfairly in my estimation. But he goes out after nine seasons, eight to the playoffs, Second most victories in franchise history. Western Conference Finals appearance as well, but apparently that wasn't good enough. He is gone. What do you think, Joe? You covered him for, what, eight seasons? Well, first of all, before we get into any of that, he Uh was just crushed with the Fentress jinx. I mean, I covered 15 years, (laughs) Nate McMillan, Terry Stotts, and if you count a Caleb Canales interim, I had three coaches, so really just two coaches. You come aboard and it just all goes to hell. So I, I good luck to the next to the follow-up person. We'll see how long they can last. So it's um, my fault. I think so. Ask any fan. They will tell you that. <laughs> I believe, you know, years from now when fans look back, I think they'll Terry will always be held in, in high regard. Much like Nate McMillan was held in high regard. It's all about the situations that you take over, where you take the franchise from that. You know, look, second most wins in franchise history, a Western Conference Finals berth, uh, two more second round berths. Uh, he helped groom, and you could argue that Dame, obviously, innately is is one of the all-time greats, if not the greatest player in franchise history. But, you know, Terry had a lot to do with that. He brought him up from a little pup and and turned him into the uh, wolf that he is now. And so yeah. he, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And, you know, behind the scenes, uh, one thing that you can always say about Terry Stotts, maybe not so much with us media types late in his career, but he was universally beloved and well-liked within the franchise. Support staff, coaching staff, health and performance staff, front office staff, players for the most part, you know, a highest percentage of them, really liked him. They liked the culture that he set, the atmosphere that he created, the, look, we're about going to work. Uh, this is about basketball, but it's also an, a kind of an open office thing. You know, you, you can talk to me at all times. 
Um, he's he's a relatively good communicator, I would say, on the higher end for M- in NBA circles. And you still talk to people right now. If if you were to text someone in the organization, they would overwhelmingly speak highly of Terry as a person. That said, you know, all things run its course. And I had a conversation with him kind of in March on the on the eve of the anniversary of, uh, oh, here we are, our first interruption from the six-year-old no! in a video. What, kiddo? I am doing a live <laughs> video right now. Do you want to come say hi? <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta go. You you can I, I I want you to turn off the store now. Okay, will do. I got you. Okay, love you, kiddo. <laughs> How many did we get through before we got to the, the kiddo? That's hilarious. That's hilarious. I feel like the I feel like going on here, so who knows what I'll get. I feel like that CNN guy um, who had to shoo his kid out of the room. (laughs) You know what's amazing about six-year-olds and three-year-olds is you can tell them something, but they don't care. They're going to do whatever they. They're on their own program. Um, Oh yeah, Uh, it was kind of on the year anniversary of of the coronavirus, kind of shutting down the sports world and and including the Blazers. And and I kind of had talked to Terry for a story I was working on and. You know, we our conversation deviated a lot through that. And, you know, some of it I can't share. But there was a sense, I could tell there was a sense of him that he knew, um, you know, if, if he if he had this kind of an ending that I think he knew his time was here. And, and he kind of had an interesting thought. He was like, for all that he accomplished, you know, you can kind of get, he called it kind of stats fatigue. You know, after being at a place for almost 10 years, it's only natural sometimes for, for it to run its course. And I mean, I think that's why he was the fourth longest tenured coach in the NBA. Uh, coaches don't last that long. Right. They don't create an atmosphere that that fosters success uh, for that long. So, um, you know, it, it had run its course. And uh, I think the most ardent supporters and and uh, certainly the the harshest critics would, would agree it was just kind of time for him to move on. Well, they didn't win a playoff series for 14 years until 2014. Mm-hmm. And that was an upset victory that year over Houston. He was the coach Mm -hmm. for that team. You know, one of the biggest knocks against him clearly is that they didn't move further in, you know, into the playoffs. But like I just said, they went 14 years without winning a series. Then you start making it a lot and winning a few, but people want more and more and more. And it's just unfortunate for, for him that, you know, he ran up against the Duncan Spurs. He ran up against the Warriors before Durant and then the Warriors with Durant, Mm -hmm. uh, the 2018 sweep to the Pelicans. That was an underachieving season. That was a bad look, no doubt about that, but no one's perfect. And then the last two seasons, I mean, you, you lose Nurkic for the entire season, last two seasons ago until the bubble, Collins until the bubble, uh, Rodney Hood, who was on fire, you lose him too. Somehow you get to the bubble, you get in the playoffs, and who do you run up against? LeBron and AD. You got no chance there. And then now this year, high hopes for this season. They wanted him to fix the defense. It didn't happen. Was it all his fault? You lose Nurkic for most of the season, plus when Nurkic was playing until the last 15 games, he was either out of shape or battling the injury as well or on minutes restriction, and they just couldn't quite fix it. I would say to anyone who would care that he did a great job. Like to, the fact they finished tied for fifth in the West with the tiebreaker over Dallas and the Lakers after losing Nurkic and CJ for a combined 60 games, that, that to me is an impressive coaching job. But alas, the defense finished 29th. They got beaten the first round by a team that was without one of its all-stars, and Neil O'Shea pulled the trigger. So great job by him for his career, but it didn't end the way people would have hoped it would have ended given their circumstances. 
Yeah, and I think, and you could say this for any coach who, who you know, his time ends and he moves on. There's a lot of what ifs to Terry's tenure, and and most of them surround injuries. Quite frankly, I mean, right. you look at that team when Wesley Matthews snapped his Achilles. 14, that 15, team, yeah. that was an incredibly talented team with depth and star power and and uh, offense and defense. It was. I believe a team capable of making a really, really deep run uh, that season. You know, Wesley snaps his Achilles. That changes everything. A, a Flalo, a horrible fit. And then the dominoes fell and, and the roster imploded the next year. And and also, you know, this year, like you said, Nurkic missing so much time. CJ missing so much time. You wonder how things would have been different if, if they hadn't uh, uh, battled those injuries. And even back to when they went to Western Conference Finals, what if Nurkic was on that team that that got as far as they did without him? They still lose the Warriors, but yes, they, they would have probably. Been but but you <laughs> know, been it's, again, it's it's kind of a what if. Yeah. And so you know th- that's one thing that'll stand out. The other thing that was almost universal in Terry's time that that doesn't we don't talk about it enough is they always did their best when when the expectations were lowest. They you know second round like you said that was an upset. The year that they they beat the Clippers and injuries you know aside still got to the second round of the playoffs. That was a team that was supposed to win I don't know forty four games. games according yeah, to Vegas 30, yeah. right and so Vegas over was twenty one and a half I think yeah. Right. So far exceeded expectations there. It was the years when they they touted themselves that they couldn't deliver. And and I don't know if that's his fault or circumstances or what, but whenever expectations were highest, uh, they tended to play the worst. Two years right. ago, this year, uh, the year that after you talked about the New Orleans series, uh, you know, that was one of the, the worst fumbles in recent memory. Um so, yeah, it, it, that's an interesting kind of thing there, too. But you talk about him being a good coach and a really, really good coach. And I believe we'll see that shortly. I, I believe he will get one of an open job here if he wants it uh, sooner than later. Um, but, you know, obviously a, a critique that came up uh, in spades during Neil Olshay's recent media availability, uh, a critique that has come up time and time again with Terry uh, was his team's defensive performances and you know, I, I guess Olshay made it clear in his availability that he will demand accountability on defense. That will play a role in his coaching search. But, but right. I guess, Aaron, is that fair? Is is that justified? Yeah, you know, I mean, the defense was 27th two years ago, 29th this year. You know, again, mm-hmm. your best defensive player, your rim protector, Nurkic. We just talked about how much time he missed there this year and the broken leg two two summers ago, two springs ago that cost him most of the year two years ago, like you're not going to have a great defense under those circumstances. Plus your guards aren't very good defenders. Um, like it's just a weird situation to really demand that you're going to have a really good defense, but I think they expected to at least not be 29th, <laughs> you know, like and Neil also made the point, like we were down there ranked with teams that weren't, that were rebuilding and weren't even really caring at the end of the season. Teams like Orlando and Minnesota, et cetera, et cetera, Cleveland, right? And, and he's right. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So you would have think it would have been at least in the you know 21 range, 20 range, despite the issues that they had. Uh, so, you know, look, there, there's a lot of people that, that have been criticizing his defenses. That's fine. He's been there nine years. If you want to say it's just time and we got, we got to fix the defense, I'm all for that. But I just hope that people appreciate what he did accomplish here, especially when you compare it to the previous 20 years going back to – you know, when the thing imploded in 2001 during the Pippen Stoudemire days. I mean, he did a great job here, but the defense needs to be fixed. So then the question becomes, okay, do we have the 
personnel on this team, if you're the Blazers, do we have the personnel to really fix it? And who are we going to get who's going to coach the personnel we have to become a better defense? And so my question is, how good can this team be defensively with a small three-guard lineup and if you can't trust Nurkic to be healthy? So it's an interesting dilemma for them. Well, it's the old, is it the roster or the coaching? And according to Neil, it's it's definitely the coaching because he said the roster is not the problem. Right. And so, I mean, we'll find out with a new staff and, and new blood, you know, how, how that shakes out. I mean, I'm sure there'll be some roster adjustments despite what, what Neil said in his availability anyway. But, you know, you look at the list of candidates and, and I don't know if we're ready to move on to that just yet or not. Um, but Well, one, one more point before we do. The way Olshay approached this, and I thought it was fascinating because he talked about a lack of accountability on defense, not just not playing defensive, defense well, but like there was no accountability. And I remember asking Norman Powell back in maybe early April, like when you were in Toronto, actually I think someone else asked this, I asked a follow-up to it, but I think Dwight actually asked the initial question, but it was what kind of sense did you have there about the defense in terms of how important it was compared to Portland? He said it was definitely different. Like in, in, in Toronto, they cared about it. It was part of their identity. It was who they are. And they wanted to go out there and stop people. In Portland, it was kind of like, eh, we play defense. Right? Mm-hmm. And then late in the season, when they beat Indiana and started their 10 of 12 stretch, Lillard basically said that they just decided as a team, we have to play better defense. It was like, it took you this long to decide this? But what it seemed to come back to was accountability. And how does a, co- a coach hold a roster accountable to play good defense or else? Or your, your minutes are going to be... Uh, limited or you're going to be taken out of the game or you're going to get chewed out or what have you. And it seems like there was none of that with this team. If you went out there and you just played bad defense, so Olshay was like, don't do that, but he would leave you in. <laughs> and so Olshay definitely said he wants, excuse me, yeah, Olshay said he definitely wants someone who's going to hold the team accountable. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. My experiences in the past have always been that there's been an emphasis on defense. I mean, you break training camp. I can't remember how many times I've written stories about their focus on defense and how much attention they're putting to it. I can't remember multiple times when the Blazers have gotten, you know, kind of had these runs late in the season. There was this big push uh, about defense in it. There were film sessions and, you know, meetings and so on and so forth. And so, you know, it's tough to say exactly what the tenor is and the conversation is behind the scenes since we don't have that access. Uh, but I, I think it's a little, I don't know, Pollyanna to be like there's no discussion and no accountability on defense. Um, I think on the whole, a lot of these rosters uh, – have not been defensive minded rosters. I think any right. Blazers fan that has watched basketball over the last X amount of years would say as much. And as, as you said, a, a roster that is built primarily behind the the guard duo of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum is not going to be, unless you have several defensive minded players behind that, it's not going to be a top five, top three defense in the league. Terry's goal was always to be a top 10 defense. The metrics say you need to be a top 10 defense and a top 10 offense. That is the champion. If you look through the X amount of years, the champion always has that, that, um, you know, that quality uh, in common. So yeah, a lot of it's personnel. I mean, 2019 defense finished, I think seventh. And that was a team that went to the West finals. Yeah. I mean, and I I think that year. The the team that was before Wesley went down, that team was also in the top 10. And the, the Houston, uh, the second season under Terry, that team was, I believe, in the top 12 or top 10, somewhere in that range. Okay. So 
But again, that was a different, you know, LaMarcus, underrated defender at the time. Wesley Matthews, a defensive-oriented player. I mean, we could go on down the roster. Yeah. Uh, without Nurkic, and we talked about this, oh my gosh, we're still talking about it. But we talked about it so much during the season. Ennis Cantor was your starting center for the majority of the year. I want to see a team that he played on that was a good defensive unit under that circumstance. It's why he's, he's bouncing good. around the league. He doesn't play good yeah. defense. Yeah, he's a great locker room unusable. guy. He's, he was unusable against Denver. He was unusable against Golden State when they got swept in, in the right. finals, right? Right. So it's, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I, 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 the whole, ro- and we're going to get in the roster, so I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but it, it's, Again, it's is it a byproduct of the roster? Is it a byproduct of coaching? Probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, but I just think, it, it, you know, even if you ask Terry or, you, you know, two years from now or six months from now, you talk to Terry, it'll probably be, you know what, it was probably just just time. Nine years yeah. had run its course. You know, we we failed to deliver, particularly this year. And, and, um, and, and it is what it is. I, you know, it's funny. No one really brings up the pandemic and how it's affected all aspects of the league right now. I don't know if that would have been any different if Nurkic shows up in better shape and the team has a summer and a training camp and a month, you know, to adjust with so many new pieces. Like as I talked about so much early in the season, who knows? Again, it's, it's kind of one of those what ifs, but at the end of the day, you don't deliver, you know, you're gone. So it's plain and simple. This is true. You are listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. All right, we're back. So, Joe, after the firing of Stotts, well, I take that back, the mutual separation of Stotts from the Blazers franchise, if you believe it was completely mutual, of course, we initially, right away, boom, there's candidate names out there. The main five were, and some still remain, Jason Kidd, Chauncey Billups, Jawan Howard, who's coaching at Michigan. Jeff is a Jeff or stance. Jeff Van Gundy. I always get those guys mixed up. Jeff Van Gundy, who last coached in 2006-7 with the Houston Rockets and has been in broadcasting since. And Mike D'Antoni, which I thought was hilarious because Neil O'Shea wants defense. Let's start with Kid because Kid's name went to the forefront right away because Damian Lillard spoke to uh, Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports. And according to Chris Haynes, who put up a story the same day that Stotts was departing from the Blazers, stated that Dame said, I want Jason Kidd, which was fascinating to me. I can't remember the last time a star player came out within hours of his coach being dismissed and naming the person that they want and allowing it to be on the record. What did you think about that whole situation? And then, of course, a day later, Kidd removes his name from the process. Yeah, it was all a surprising development. Uh, it's it's kind of unlike Dame to go that route. Uh, I don't know that it served him as best as he wanted to, if that's truly what he wanted. I think there was a lot of emotion that happened after that year when, you know, you have these expectations of, of being in the MVP race and expectations of being in the championship hunt and, and, and all of that kind of crumbles. And then you you kind of lose the only coach that you've had that you've supported for years, uh, you know, up until the end. And, and I just there's a lot of emotions that go into that. And so it was probably him reacting to that and being frustrated and and wanting to say, hey, this is this is kind of what I want. That said, he has and will continue to have significant input in both this coach search, but in roster moves. He has had input along the way uh, on free agent signings and and trade potential trade candidates, the the Blazers 
always keep him in the loop on that sort of a thing and, and kind of gauge his opinion on those sorts of things. So I was surprised to see how emphatically he came out uh, in that moment. But again, I think a lot of it was just kind of just the fallout from the season and his emotions. What was your take on that? I I was a little bit floored. Um, I Mainly because it was like, okay, does he not know kids background because <laughs> you know, initially because right away fans were not happy at least on social media uh because kid uh pled guilty to domestic violence from a 2001 incident with his wife now ex-wife and then during their divorce proceedings she claimed uh, alleged some other domestic uh, abuse you know instances that occurred so my hunch is that damien probably didn't know about those things when he so, you know, right away put out there, I want Jason Kidd. And then 24 hours later, Kidd removes his name from the process, uh, saying he didn't want to put the franchise and Lillard in an awkward position because now this hurts their search because it's out there that Damian wants him. I think that's probably partly true. I think it's also probably partly true that the backlash might have had something to do with it. I think the Blazers are probably like, we can't make this higher. Look at the reaction to this already. And I think Dame was probably like, yeah, we probably can't make this higher. So it just shows like, you know, sometimes you just got to let things marinate for a while and, and do your own due diligence before you start throwing names out there. But it was surprising. You know, if it, if it wasn't for Kid's background, I firmly believe Kid would probably be the coach. And I think it would be a pretty good hire. I mean, despite his up and down coaching career to this point. People learn, they grow. He, he was a great point guard, a champion from Oakland, just like Dame. There's definitely going to be a connection there. And if Dame were to say, I want that guy to be my coach, he has to go to the top of the list. You're not going to go and hire someone that he doesn't want. And if you can't convince him someone else is a better choice and he's 31 and he could at some point demand a trade, you'd have to go in the other, that direction. But with the background, I don't think you can do it. And all of that to me leads, leads me to the fact that I think now Chauncey Billups is the front runner, although he does have a little bit of an incident in his past too. But Dame in that same article said he liked Chauncey Billups and Chauncey Billups has a history with Neil Olshay. So I think that's where we're headed. I think a lot of people think that as well, but they're going to go through the vetting process and I guess we'll see. I think, uh, and this is not me talking to Neil or anything, it's just me having conversations with Neil over the last eight, nine years. He has always been a fan of Chauncey Billups. He has always respected Chauncey from their time together in Los Angeles. The uh, professionalism and respect that he brought and commanded from his time there, uh, the way he helped that organization at that time, he's obviously a, a champion in his playing days. And so there is a lot from that perspective that I know Neil has always liked and wanted at some level to be connected with him. I don't know if it was in the past a front office thing or, or coaching. Obviously, he's decided to get into coaching. Um, right. There's some questions there, though. I mean, he's never been a head coach, and, right. and that certainly can and has worked. We've seen it this year with Nash uh, in Brooklyn, who obviously has an all-star lineup and, and yeah, head, I mean, coaching on, head coaching on his bench. Um, yeah. But so, so there are questions there. But one thing I will say is it, it is always dangerous. And, and I think Mark Cuban said this last week after Dallas uh, was eliminated and in kind of a similar situation to the Blazers with similar first round exodus in, in their recent history. If you're going to fire a coach, if you're going to part ways with a coach, however we're, we're calling this, you better have a plan in mind. There better be somebody that you think you can get, that you want to get, that you envision moving in. Because otherwise, uh, you know, the grass is, quote unquote, not always greener and, and you can set the franchise back even further. So 
Neil is, is uh, despite how fans, and he's got a very checkered opinion from fans right now, but he's a smart guy, yeah. he knows what he's doing. And so I would think that he had a plan in mind. And, and I think he had kind of, you know, privately targeted Chauncey. But other candidates emerge in the process. Chauncey may fade or stay or whatever. So, it, it, it you know, that's still to be determined. But, you, you know, you said that you thought that kid would have been a good good hire. He's a guy who's left every place he's been throughout his coaching career in awful, awful terms. So I, I don't know. <laughs> True, but one of the reports out of L.A. was that he's grown and matured a lot. I, I do believe that people are going to make mistakes in certain situations and then they do become better later. You know, I mean, I, I believe in that. And he's still a relatively young man. I mean, he, you know, so, I, you know, I would give him the benefit of the doubt that if there was a, some kind of great relationship with him and Dame, that that would be extremely important. But no, you're right. I mean, he, he made a power grab in, in Brooklyn, right? <laughs> he want to control the franchise. They're like, no, nah, we're going to trade you. He got traded to the Bucks, And then things with the Bucks didn't quite work out. So, you know, yeah, there, there's definitely reason for pessimism. But I just think, you know, all things considered, I think it would have been a fine hire. When Neil spoke, uh, boy, was that earlier this week? Man, this is Monday. Ever. He will vet... 20, 30 plus candidates uh, throughout the course. 20 to 25, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, there'll be other names that emerge. I'm surprised that David Vanterpool is not on that list. I would be surprised if he wasn't in some capacity. Now, he's he's very close with Damon CJ, no head coaching experience, and he kind of is on that Terry Stotts tree, so that could be, you know, kind of a notch against him if you're trying to get away from what you've been doing. And I, I don't know, maybe it's just the local kind of tie-in, but Ime Udoka, I would think, would be someone that you would at least interview or include in your vetting process, not just because of his Portland history, but a guy who has spent a lot of time around Greg Popovich, uh, a respected player who, who paid his dues and came up you know, the hard way, and, and a guy who's respected in NBA circles. But you know, there's not a Tom Thibodeau out there right now. Right. There's not a Monty Williams out there that just makes you go, wow, now that would be a slam dunk hire. So it'll be interesting to see what route he goes. There's some intrigue with Juwan Howard, who who has had incredible success in Michigan in a short amount of time. Right. But do you want to make the jump to the NBA? Are you happy at your alma mater in Michigan after leading them to the title game? So, you know. Howard spent a lot of – he played, what, 17 years? And I think he spent six or seven years in assist, as an assistant in Miami, and now he's been head coach in Michigan. I, I think that's a solid hire. I think that Billups, given the fact that he won a championship as a point guard, playing for Larry Brown in a very defensive-minded team, I think that definitely could work. I find the Dan- the Antonio thing interesting. His defenses at Houston were actually decent. I think they're like 14th, 16th, and 18th, something like that, and obviously had one of the better offenses in the league. It would be fascinating to see if he would try and use Lillard the same way that he used Nash, who won two MVPs, the same way they used Harden, who won an MVP, led the league in scoring. Could we see Damian running that system and averaging 30 and 12? Possible. Get a couple more shooters out there with him. But he's 70. Is that the route you want to go? Like, to me, if, if your goal is to win a title and you're trying to upgrade from Stotts, it needs to be an obvious upgrade for obvious reasons. It can't be just someone, oh, we think this person might be good. It has to be someone where you can point to three or four things that say, this is what we want. This is what we believe his background shows he can give us. And this is why we think it's going to help this team go further than Terry Stotts. If you go with someone where it's like, Eh, what what has that person ever really done in this league? Are you really rolling the dice like that? Then I don't know if fans are going to be openly accepting to that. Do you? Yeah, and ultimately that doesn't matter if if you're <laughs> seriously, if, if you're True. the 
GM or president of basketball operations in this case, you're going to make the, the hire that you think is best for your team with the information that you have and the roster that you plan to build. Because if it doesn't work out, then you're gone. Then like you're it's gone. Plain and simple. So right. it doesn't matter what the fans think or what makes a lot of sense to the fans. Uh, because we all are, every fan has emotion and they don't have all the information. And so, right. you know, Neil's going to make the decision that he thinks is best for the franchise. Um, and as well, he should, it's his job to do so. Uh, I think D'Antoni would be a great hire in a lot of ways. It would be a hard sell because you have emphatically come out saying you want to get a defensive minded coach. And despite what you said about his time in Houston, he does not have the reputation as being a defensive mastermind. That's not me right. saying they shouldn't hire him. I'm just saying that's a harder sales job. You know, right. it's funny. Nate McMillan is having some pretty good success right now uh, in Atlanta. And, you know, he's a guy who, who ran out of favor here. So going back to the whole uh, things run their course uh, argument, it, it's, you know, it, at the very least, it will give you something to take care of here for the next uh, few weeks, Aaron. And uh, <laughs> once we get past I that. I thought you were taking over the offseason. What, what are you talking about? Oh no no no! You got some bad intel. Bad what? intel. Yeah. No, I'm going. On, I'm going on vacation the first two weeks of July. I'll, uh, good luck. You're going where? On vacation. In July? Oh yeah. I have tea times all through July. What are you talking? Wait, we got we got to get our sports editor on here to talk about this. That's man. not our. That's not our problem. Really, it's <laughs> not our problem. Uh, all right. Get past this, uh, you know, kind of coaching search situation. It is your favorite topic everybody's favorite topic especially with this team is is getting back to the is it roster or is it coaching situation and no matter what coach you bring in there are a lot of questions about this roster and you know getting to the crux of the conversation with the coaches defense you you know is this roster suited for defense can it contend as is i open the floor to you (laughs) so Here's one of the interesting things about this team for me. You listen to people complain about it in the media and fan base. And they're like, he, Olshay put this mess together, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, is it really a mess? You know, they they finished tied for eighth in the NBA in terms of record. Tied with Dallas and the Lakers. They beat the Dallas Mavericks twice. They beat the Lakers twice. Now, of course, we all know the Lakers had injuries. But, oh, wait a minute. Injuries matter. Look what happened to the Lakers. But injuries don't matter for the Blazers. So, I would argue that if CJ is in this 25 games, Nurk doesn't miss 35 and is not a shape for another 10 and isn't on minutes restriction for another 10, and if you have Powell for an entire season, that there's and you improve the defense, that the roster as it sits right now would have a better record than it just had. And it just finished eighth. So you could definitely be looking at a team that finishes sixth in the NBA, maybe three or four in the West. I'm not saying that would happen definitely. It's a given because, of course, the Lakers will probably be healthy as well, maybe be better. There's other teams up and coming. The Warriors are going to get back, Clay Thompson, et cetera, et cetera. But my point being is that this is not a mess. Like, this is a good team. Now, the question is, if you do improve the defense, can you contend with this team regardless? I have reservations because I just don't see how you – like, you went from one problem to me always being you have two small guards, they score a lot of points, but defensively there's some issues, and bigger teams can – put some major pressure on them with long, tall guys. The last five minutes of game six, what did we see Denver do? They threw two dudes at Lillard, both bigger than him, and there was nothing he could do about it. And he can't. He's six foot two. So how do you win when your small forward is six three? 
I don't care what, how good he is. He's not a he's not a megastar six three guy. He's a solid six three guy. He's guarding six seven, six eight, six ten. So I just think they can get better. I just think there's a ceiling, and that ceiling for me is maybe you get into the second round, maybe, and that's it. Yeah, I think there's no question that you're going to have to have some some changes to the roster. I think the the backbone behind the roster is solid. I do have questions about Yusuf Nurkic at this point, if only because can can he stay healthy? Is he a guy? He's not proven over the course of his career, the fluke leg injury notwithstanding. Obviously, that's not something anybody can predict. It was it was horrific, and that's not a byproduct of being injury prone. That's just a fluke, awful thing. But you know, this year since he's returned, uh, and even even before then, uh, before his his catastrophic injury. He's been unable to stay healthy. And so, you know, at some point you wonder where he is mentally in his development, where he is healthy, and can he continue to stay healthy? So that's a primary question. Uh, The never-ending Dame and CJ pairing, you know, what do you do with CJ? Can he fit? I have long maintained that it is, uh, with the backcourt of Dame and CJ, it is incumbent on the front office to put pieces around them that, that they can succeed. You just need to accentuate that roster. I agree with you in, in uh, getting back to your point is it, it's not a mess. It, it's not an unfixable, you know, blank show. Th- there are a lot of good players on this team. I think yeah. Robert Covington is exceptional in his role, had a really good season. Uh, Powell, I think, exceeded uh, what Blazers fans ex- expected, you know, from what they remember seeing. You know, he was not that well known, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And he was uh, really good. If if there aren't a couple of disappearing acts, CJ included, in the playoffs, maybe this team is still playing. So you've got to shore up the bench, first and foremost. Carmelo, I think, is, is probably not going to come back. Cantor, you've got to get a big man who can play some defense, who can do more than just, you know, get you rebound putbacks. And um, for everything Cantor brought you, and he brought you a lot, you, you need more defense on that second unity. You're talking about defense being a DNA of your team. That's a good place to start because – as we've talked about time and time again, when those guys came in, the the, the numbers just just plateaued. So, or, or, or went not, down. Yeah. yeah, so <laughs> not plateaued. Uh, I mean, right. <laughs> the question, I mean, and what you love to talk about is is uh, we might as well fold this in. This is supposed to be yours, and since I was talking trash about you stealing my topics, we're going to just get right into this before. <laughs> You know, does there need to be a major, like a significant franchise changing mood? Or do you kind of accentuate the roster with, uh, you know, quote unquote difference makers? There's two tacks to take. Uh, I, I don't know what path you take there. It's it's such a difficult situation. And this is one of the things that kills me. Whenever I have a conversation with anyone about Olshay and they go on and on about, you know, not being able, basically it comes down to they haven't been able to contend with Lillard. And I don't think people understand how difficult a job it is to try and build a championship team around a two, a six foot two guard as your best player and do so in a small market and do so when you're good and you're not, you're not falling into, you know, top three, top four picks. Someone I was talking to recently was like, they should get Danny Ainge. He's, he drafts way better. I'm like, what are you talking about? Look, Jason, T- Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I'm like, the third and second picks in the draft. <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course, you're going to have more success drafting the top three than you do at 25. Most picks, 20 through 30, 
do not even have long careers, let alone become all-stars. So it's a really difficult situation there. You can't get marquee free agents to say, hey, I want to go to Portland. Even though Dame is here. If Dame's in L.A., I guarantee you to be a lot of people going, I'd like to go play with Dame in L.A. Dame's in New York. Dame's in somewhere like Miami, whatever. But no one's thinking about coming to Portland. They're just not. I know people don't like to hear that. I know people who live here love Portland, and that's great. But Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, when all those guys were available, Portland, yeah, I mean, Harden mentioned Portland's one of us, but Harden wanted to be in Brooklyn or Philly. We, I mean, that's just a given. Um, so it's a tough situation. So how do you make this happen if you want to win? Because the thing that's killing me is that it's not, it's not that fans are mad because they're in the lottery again or they didn't make the playoffs and they're not very good. They're mad because they got lost, they lost in the first round. So the expectation is to get deep into the playoffs, to be a top four team in the league. That's the expectation in Portland, Oregon. That's insanity to me. Insanity to me. But if you're Neil Oshay and you have that pressure on you, the only way to get there is to acquire another major star. And the only way for that to happen is to make a trade. And the only piece you have on your team that could pot- potentially do that is C.J. McCollum. That's the catch-22. But can that happen? Does that happen? Could Is that even possible? I don't know. Oh, it's definitely possible. Is there- it? <laughs> to, tra- to trade CJ for another for an all star like who's well, giving I, up I, I, I don't know I, can, I, I can't talk about who you, you you know speculate about who you would be able to trade but that's for. what it's going to take to contend that's my that's the catch twenty two here it's going to take another major star to contend how do we know this because virtually every title team ever had two major stars or a bunch of other fringe all stars or you know major marquee mega all time great players it's just a fact. So yeah. the idea that they're going to magically win, be the one team that wins a title with one all-star, it's just, it's just nonsense. Well, you talk about the Billups uh, Pistons. I think they're the classic that, example. That's, that's one, one in 40 years, and they only won it because Kobe and Shaq were fighting like children. It's also a different <laughs> era. But, and, you know, I think, you know, it, 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 it kind of endless or back channels works back to the conversation of, of – this season falling apart and how frustrating it is for Blazers fans. When you look right now at the avenue to getting to the finals or to the Western Conference finals or whatever, all these teams that are out there right now have either never won a title or haven't won, a couple haven't won them in 30, 40 years. The, there's there's no LeBron's Lakers. There's no Warriors in there right now. There's the Nets though. Nets are not going to lose, but go ahead. Yeah, we'll see about that. But I mean, I'm just saying like there's all this new blood. And so the the path to at least get to the finals or for a deep run, it was right there for the taking. And you've got a once in a generation player like Damian Lillard. And and that is the other frustrating aspect for Blazers fans is they feel like the franchise right now is wasting an opportunity with this once in a generation player to capitalize on that. And I think you can get guys to play next to Dame. It is incumbent on you to make trades and, and build a roster around them. Uh, I think we both loosely agree that the roster is talented despite uh, what some of the talking heads think, and it's not a mess. But, you know, you kind of fold all those things together, and that what makes is what makes things so much, uh, I guess, extra frustrating for fans right now is there was a legit path for a deep playoff run and you've got a, a franchise player who is in his prime, you know, that has done so much and at a position or a, a spot in his career where he can make that kind of emphatic noise that that's what makes it so, so frustrating. 
And and I hear that, but there's a bunch of players. Like I think sometimes fans think that their guy is the only guy. Like Dallas has a player who is going to be one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah, but Not he's just 20. He's, he's young. Right. He's, he's young. young throwing up 30-point triple-doubles. Right? Harden hasn't won a title yet, so he joins forces oh, with you know, yeah. Durant had to go win one with, with uh, the Warriors, but he had – my point is there's great players, other great players. Westbrook hasn't won a title. Like, there's so many great players in the league who haven't won titles. The idea that Dane is somehow special in that regard doesn't make sense to me. And in order for that to happen, you have to have other dudes. Like, let's take Phoenix. Phoenix was bad. Well, being bad got them the number one pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. Had Portland been really bad the last, last couple of years and had the number one pick in the draft and came away with, oh, Luka Doncic, <laughs> you know, like something like that, then they would be in a different position. But they weren't, they weren't ever bad to do that. And then they go out, Phoenix gets Chris Paul. Well, would Chris Paul have fit in Portland? Would you trade for Chris Paul to play along with Damon CJ and then pay Chris Paul $41 million? Like, it wasn't a fit. So had Chris Paul been a small forward and was available at 33 years years old, perfect. Go get Chris Paul. But it wasn't the right fit, but he was the right fit in Phoenix, and now Phoenix has ascended. Is that anyone's fault, or is that just circumstances? Like That's why I just don't understand where some of the, the negativity and, and venom comes from and the anger. Like It's one thing to be disappointed. There's so much anger and negativity and nastiness out there, and I don't think people are following the NBA. Tell me in the last 40 years what this team looks like in terms of other champions. None. So the idea that they're going to be able to pull this off without a major deal to land another major star, to me, is absolute fantasy. And I've been seeing that since CJ became a star in 2016. They're never going to win a title with those two as the best two players. And I think they know that internally. I believe they know that, but they can't find a way to fix that because it's tough to make a deal to get a star to want to come to Portland. Well, and the ultimate question is it gets gets back to Dame and we – I keep seeing national story after national story about the Blazers trading Dame and all this sort of (laughs) laughable and ridiculous. It's it's, it's just, I I have just reached a point where it's like, I think these people just have nothing better to like write about. And they're like, Oh, well this just happened. I'll just kind of go here because here's a trade offer. Yeah. It's like, it's not based in fact or even in reality. And, and anybody with, with any common sense wouldn't even suggest it. I, I mean, I don't see a scenario where, where that happens and I don't understand why it pops up, but ultimately well, Dame's happiness is, is paramount for this franchise. Yeah. I mean, the, the trade offers that are being thrown out, out there are just like Dallas, Portland, excuse me, would just be ridiculous to even entertain some of them. It's like, what, I, I'd rather have nothing than what you're basically saying they should take for Lillard. I'd rather just have the cap space and move on than, you know, take on, you know, uh, Caldwell Pope, Kuzma, and Montrez Harrell. Oh, yeah. Can, yeah, give us those guys. That's that's what the Blazers think. Yeah. Can, I, can we have those guys, please, for Damian Lillard? No, the Blazers are not thinking that. Um, if there is ever a deal for Lillard, they're going to get a haul back. They're going to get a, a couple young pieces and major draft picks, or I don't think it ever would happen until Dame's like 35 or what have you. Um, so, yeah, some of that stuff is comical. But have we reached a point, Joe Freeman? And I know you hate speculation. I know you hate hot takes. But have we reached a point where at least we have to start wondering how much longer Damian Lillard is going to stand for playing on a team that can't contend? I want a, a thing at the top of your video that says hot take lover, and I want to take a, a thing at the bottom of my video that says hot take hater. 
This is not a hot take, though. It's it's oh, it's it's just one hot take to the next. It's it's your it's it's the lo- your hot take love. Uh, <laughs> no, the Blazers are not trading Damian Lillard. There, it doesn't make ever any- ever. I can't say whatever happens. I'm talking about now. Okay, if, I agree with you. There is no – it makes no sense in the world for them to do that now. They're not a team that is heading on a downward spiral. They're a team that had a bad season that that failed to deliver on expectations, that had a, a, a bad playoff series, much like 2016 against – was it 16 against the Pelicans? No, 18? 18 was the Pelicans. I mean, think about where that uh, – in fact, there's a lot of parallels between now and then – you know, Neil Olshay came across uh, in a very negative light after his availability or end of season availability the other day. Very reminiscent to how his went after that series then. Everybody was ready to blow up the roster and everything then, and they went on to the Western Conference Finals the next season. So right. I don't think this franchise is that far away. You're going to have to hire the right coach, and you're going to have to adjust the roster in the right manner. But there's no reason for you to trade – a arguably the best player in your franchise history right now. It makes no sense. End of story. I agree. I'm I'm 95% with you. They're going to go out and hire a coach that he's going to approve of, right? So you're not going to hire a coach that Lillard wants and then train him. That's just dumb, right? (laughs) So everyone out there who's fantasizing about somehow how their franchise is going to get Lillard this summer, you're wasting your time. It's not going to happen. However, he'll be 31 in July. It'll be 32 next offseason. The clock on his time as an elite player is, is ticking. Now, you know, Michael Jordan retired 34, 35 the first time. Well, the second time. How many times um, did he retire anyway? He retired three. But after, the, after his sixth title, he was 30. I think he thir- turned 35. Miami would not resign Dwayne Wade at 434 and, and, and let him walk to Chicago. So you start getting in the, that 34, 35 range for a, a guard, especially it's like you have to make a decision because if they're making a ton of money, if they're making 40, 50 million, which Dame is going to start making here soon. Then at some point it becomes beneficial for the franchise to make a move. And it becomes beneficial for the player. If the player feels like they can't t- contend. So my feeling right now on the, that is this, as long as they have a team where Damian Lillard feels they have a shot and they don't win it, I think he'll be cool with that based on what he said in the past. He said, if we shoot our best shot and we don't get it, I'll be cool with that. But if he feels like they have no shot, there's no way in heck they're going to win the title in the next three years based on the roster he sees, not after this summer. Then I think for him and for the franchise, the best thing to do is to part ways. Why play out two or three more years of just being mediocre and then Dame's value goes down each year, as well as his opportunity to win a title decreases each year. Send him somewhere where he has a chance to win a title, just like they did with Clyde back in the day, sending him to Houston. But get back way more than you got for what you got for Clyde. And then you're able to rebuild and start over. So I'm saying that by next summer, not this summer, by next summer, if this team does not look like they have a shot, a look, I think the clock starts on his career in Portland. So blast me if you want. I'm just saying, because here's, here's the thing too. I, I did this article last summer. I look back years and years and years. The only two players, two stars that didn't win a title and stayed with their team their entire career are Reggie Miller and John Stockton. 
That's it. Everyone else. Yao Ming. Huh? About Yao Ming. Yao retired because of injuries. He didn't retire because he was like, oh, I'm done. I didn't win the title. I'm talking about guys who, like, they played out a full career. They were stars. And they just stayed and never won one. That's it. So many other players have left, like Ray Allen went somewhere else, Garnett, LeBron, Bosch, Kidd, Billups, uh, Gary Payton, Alonzo Mourning, Gasol, Kevin Love, Durant, Drexler were all players who were star players, all-star players, who ultimately at some point left to go win a title. So does Lillard want to be known as another Stockton and Malone, or does he want to be known as someone who won a ring at the right time and there was a mutual agreement for him to part ways and help the franchise. And then when he wins the title somewhere else, he can come back here at 36, 37 and play out his career and retire a Blazer. Anyway, blast Carl me Malone. if you want. <laughs> Carl Malone went and played for the Lakers, didn't he? He went and played for the Lakers. Now, I will throw Ewing. I actually throw Ewing into that list. But Ewing played a couple years somewhere else late. But he was way past his prime. So did he? Technically, yeah, he did. I know people forget. But Patrick, yeah. Ewing, I can't remember where he went. But he was – so I, I almost count him in that list. So maybe we'll go – Stockton, uh, Miller, Ewing, because Ewing played for like it was something bad. I'm looking at it right now, but it was like he was like 37. He went to play for Seattle one year. Yeah, 38 years old in Seattle one year, and then yeah. 39 mm-hmm. years old in Orlando. Those those don't count. He was he was you know he re- basically 15 seasons in New York. So I'm gonna count Ewing, but I don't think Lillard wants that to be necessary as legacy. But Ewing. Made it to the NBA Finals twice. So if you're Lillard and you get to the Finals a couple of times and you lose, I think you're okay with that. If you can't even get there, if you have no shot, I don't think he's going to be okay for that for the next four years. I just don't expect the Blazers to be uh, – I, I think that – I just don't see the them going that far downhill where they're, they're uh, in the lottery or just, you know, going nowhere. I just don't foresee that for the <clears> – <throat> And for the roster moving forward. So I, it's, it's ludicrous of me. The, all the trade speculation is ludicrous. All the stories about, you know, should they trade him are ludicrous. And I just, for me to speculate what's going to happen in three or four years, I don't, I don't see the roster going in that direction. So it's hard for me to envision that. So I don't, I just don't see I, it. I hear you. And I, you know, I, I respect that opinion. Let me ask you one more question though. If Lillard had not been saying what he's been saying for years that he wants to stay here, would you have the same thought process? Because so many other guys who haven't won somewhere have gone elsewhere. Like basically the entire league. Who in the league? When was the last time someone won a title? I, as a matter of fact, in the last and during career during Lillard's career, the only two megastars or superstars that have won a title in their original place of being drafted without having ever left are Curry and Duncan. Right. And Clay, if you count Clay, did, I don't count him as a megastar. But go ahead. Miami did uh, no. Well, okay. So Wade, Wade yeah. won with LeBron coming. Okay, so right. So Wade would be one, but that required two other guys who would fit in the category I'm talking about. So my point is, is that star players are bouncing around the league like crazy, like pinballs. They're going all over the place, and Dame hasn't entered that realm because he doesn't want to. He thinks it's corny. But if he had never said all the things he said, I don't think we'd be as feeling like he's going to stay. I think it'd be like, when's he going to leave? Yeah, and if the Blazers had drafted Michael Jordan, we'd be having a different conversation <laughs> right now. Again, it's just crazy. Like, you have to – yeah, he said all these things because that's who he is, and that's that's what he believes in. And, and at some level, he probably over his life, he's been loyal to a fault in, in a lot of ways. 
Now, everybody's patience and loyalty runs thin after they feel like they've been burned or or uh, expectations or promises have not been met. And so when it gets to that point, that's when you reevaluate things. But we're not at that point now. Okay, uh, fine. So it's, it's, yes, he fine. he is. It, the conversations that I've had with him for almost 10 years are that's who he is as a person. And, you know, it's all of these series up until this point, uh, and I can't speak to what he was like this season because I didn't cover it day in and day out, is his mentality is – we're going to the finals. I remember having a conversation yeah. with Evan Turner during a season where I'm like, these guys are toast. And Evan's like, man, this dude, he doesn't have any vacation plans. He's got his calendar book. Like he thinks he's going to the finals. He, he goes into everything with that expectation. And so that's how as resolute as he is at that is just how he is in everything. It, it guides him in his personality. And, you know, he has long talked about, you know, I don't want to leave, but maybe they're going to at one point want me to go. And so right. you could see at, at some point in this long away future that you like to talk about where if things don't go the way that people want or expect them to go, that things change from an organizational standpoint with all the money invested in. And if their expectations aren't met, then it's better for them to move on. And so I could see something like that. Um, but again, we're in a point right now where it's so fresh. The season is over. He's probably frustrated or, or emotional at some level. He's going to have a new coach here. He's going to have to reevaluate things. But I just don't think that this is just a franchise that's in a downward spiral. Right. Uh, like just, people act. I know people act like it's just a, just a disaster. It's a mess and horrible. Nah, that's, that's crazy. Okay. Well, thanks for indulging me at least. I appreciate Anytime. it. I appreciate your, you withholding some of your disdain. One more thing before we roll <laughs> that we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, who, who, to me, that like when we talked earlier about had they if they had another big guy who could play defense, if they, the Zach Collins question, man, like mm. if Zach Collins had been healthy this year, I think they finished at worst twenty one point two defensively, maybe even with Nurkic out, because he was someone who could, you could put in there and play center, give you center minutes. He's going to play defense. Plus, he was developing as a three point shooter. The fact that he has essentially lost two years of his development of his growth. Um, and his skill set and what he brings to the table. Like, to me, that's like one of the underlying, like, storylines of where this franchise is. Now, some people say, oh, he wouldn't have made a difference. He was getting better every single year. And I believe that two, as he's played, played these last two years, that he would be a legitimate, whether he's starting or coming off the bench, a legitimate 15 and eight and, and a rim protector and shooting 35% from three. Um, do you think there's any chance? One, he's going to be able to bounce back. And two, will it be with Portland? Uh, I do think he'll bounce back. It's not like he had career-threatening injuries. Uh, I can't speak to the will it be in Portland. I, they can, they'll be able to tender him and control his rights. So right. I, I, don't, I don't expect him to go anywhere. I don't know what the market's going to be for a guy who hasn't played in, in two years. Uh, that is an unknown to, to a lot of teams. So, you know, my expectation is that he comes back at worst on a, on a one year kind of tender contract. But, uh, you know, again, the Blazers, if they tender him, will have the right to make him a restricted re- free agent and match w- whatever they want, whatever he gets. But I do agree with you. He subtly, it goes under kind of flies under the radar. What a difference this season could or would have been with him because you talk about the drop off from Cantor, uh, from Nurkic to Cantor, and then Cantor to to no center really. Well, then you're talking about 
Zach, Zach Collins. And that is a significant player in, a, in, a, in an upgrade for the team. So, I mean, X amount of wins, whatever those wins are, you're talking about a higher seed and a different postseason and, and all that, you know, yeah. on and on and on. So, and even, even just the fact, like, let's say you started Cantor at center, but you had Collins at power forward and Covington at three. Those two help mask some of the problems with Cantor on defense. It just, I think he, I think his presence would have changed a lot with this roster, and it's unfortunate that he wasn't able to play. And I agree with you. I think they're going to give him the qualifying offer. Why wouldn't you at seven million dollars? I don't think he's going to receive a big time offer from anyone who like he hasn't played in two years. Why would someone offer him some kind of huge deal? I can't imagine that's going to happen. Maybe you end up being able to use him in a trade or something like that. I don't know. But if I'm the Blazers, I definitely, if I think he's going to be healthy and play again for 7.6 or whatever it is, I definitely bring him back and hope that things work out with his ankle, which he had two surgeries on. So anyway, just wanted to end on that. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We have covered about all there is to cover. Uh, Be sure to catch all of Joe Freeman's off-season Blazer coverage as he dies. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. Wait, I'm I'm getting a memo. No adventures, that's your job. Dang it. Okay, so we will will have this thing covered wall to wall all season long as we see what happens with the Blazers. And whenever I can, I will drag Joe Freeman kicking and screaming to the Blazer 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 Focus video podcast. We are out. Joe, you have a good day with your children. Thanks, man. You too.